This is the Horse Radio Network. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Aiken. And I'm Tim Warden. And we are excited for today's discussion with Jude Florio. The conversation in this episode raises a lot of important points regarding symmetry in horses. We will be discussing equine high-low syndrome with Jude, which is the asymmetry that can be observed in the front hooves, where one hoof will appear to have a lower heel and longer toe, versus the other hoof with a higher heel and shorter toe. Jude describes why this occurs and how he manages the issue, but the conversation is equally valid for a number of other asymmetries we may wish to address in a horse. Bodies are naturally asymmetrical to some extent due to how the organs are placed in the body, the interactions with a rider or a human on the ground, limb dominance, and even ocular dominance. So how do we decide what level of asymmetry is acceptable and how do we make changes without screwing up other parts of the system? That is the theme for today. As Tim said, today's guest is Jude Florio. Jude has served as a professional farrier for over 20 years and worked with top professionals across a number of different disciplines. Similar to Pat Riley, who was the guest on our second episode, Jude earned a graduate diploma from the University of London's Royal Veterinary College in applied equine locomotor research. Additionally, Jude is among the the current MSc Equine Science cohorts studying at the University of Edinburgh Royal School of Veterinary Studies and is anticipated to complete this program in 2023. Hello, Jude, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. So a few months ago, you wrote a really nice article on equine high-low syndrome. Can you explain this concept and how it develops? Sure. So, you know, things, it's it's been an evolution for me in so far as shoeing. Um, You know, I have a background as a rider. Uh, When I got into shoeing, it was kind of one of those things that the horse owner wanting to know uh, everything that I could about horses without constantly looking for help. So fast forwarding, you know, when I would look at horses, I was really kind of stuck on just looking at the feet. And I think we get programmed into when I say we, some of us farriers, depending upon where you are with your experience, um, get into this habit of the look you know, do the feet look the same? And, you know, as time has gone on with experience, doing the different things that I've done with going back to school and really looking at the horse as a whole picture, not just feet. The reality is, is that when we talk about the four hooves, the the front end of the horse, there is always going to be a certain amount of difference in those feet. And the why that is, is, you know, the chicken or egg theory. Um, there are so many different forces at play and so many different factors that are involved, which affect the feet that the result is to a certain extent, greater or lesser, they're going to be slightly different and by different meaning one foot uh, will always present with what what appears to be a longer toe and a lower heel and the other foot 
will always present as more of an upright foot, a higher heel, and a shorter toe. But in reality, when we start to really do measurements and stuff like that, those feet tend to be pretty much the same. Maybe the hoof angle is slightly um, different, maybe by a few degrees. And again, this all varies from horse to horse. But again, taking a step back and looking at the big picture, now we start to see, or I start to see where the neck, the shoulders, the pole, where, where confirmation has a greater effect that result in what, what the, the feet present, um, you know, every month when we come back to, to shoe and trim and balance, quote unquote. So that's kind of the start. I mean, I could go a lot deeper, but uh, I yeah, think no, that, 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 that's where I'll start. That's that's really good, uh, good Jude, and it's uh, really interesting to hear about this because I think it's one of those things where, yeah, as you say, everyone kind of looks at the feet and and from the outside, like you, people may see a bit of a difference, and sometimes, especially in our world, any sort of difference or asymmetry is always kind of flagged as an issue. But it's it's one of those things that it sounds like it does exist in every horse, just kind of like you know, in humans, like we all have uh, one foot that's a little bit longer than the other, for mm. example, or one leg that's a little bit longer. Um, mm. I, I know in the article you wrote, you talked a little bit about how different standing postures or, or grazing postures can impact that. And, and it sort of relates, relates back to blood flow. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. You know, so if we think, if we go and, and we say, okay, you know, there, there's arguments about how long horses graze, how long are they um, eating on a daily basis? If, if we guesstimate between 18 to 20 hours a day that they are intaking something. So let's say if they're turned out, even in the stall, if, they, if they're get, given ad libitum feed, they're going to be doing this particular posture for about 18 to 20 hours, roughly. So you have to figure if you look at the horse, okay, one of the things that I learned in writing the article, which was pointed out to me by one of the veterinarians that I collaborate with is there is forelimb dominance in horses. And the estimate is about 70 to 80%. I think if I were to go back into the article, I believe it was left forelimb dominance, meaning that the left front is the foot that the horse sort of holds back and bears most of the weight and the right front is out in front of them as they're grazing. And if we look at that stance and we think about the forces and the pressures on the foot as they're standing, that right front foot, the majority of the weight is being borne on the heel. Um, The left front foot, the majority of that weight depending upon the horse's neck and and their comfort level, where their neck is set uh, in their conformation, that left front foot, most of the weight is borne on the toe. So if we go one step further, you know, the foot grows away from pressure. That's something that I've learned. That's something I constantly say. And it's a reality is because obviously you have these different 
tendons, uh, soft tissue elements of the leg pulling on the foot. And, at, and what's, what's transpiring is, is this left front foot now, the heel is growing more over the course of that chewing cycle. In the right front foot that's out in front of the horse, that toe uh, is growing more. But the way that it's growing is kind of out in front of the foot. It's not necessarily growth from a vertical growth. It's, it's kind of, it's hard to explain, um, but it's like the foot migrates forward, doesn't really migrate up and down. With the left front, it does. The right front, it sort of migrates forward. So what ends up happening, you know, and I guess this is probably leading into your next question, is we're coming back and making adjustments every month to sort of address that. Thinking a little bit about that and thinking back to some of the discussions I've had with um, different researchers and uh, farriers such as yourself and uh, veterinarians, like the importance of blood flow. And like, I think in the article, and you, you just mentioned it, but you brought up the really good point of the, like that the foot always kind of, wherever the pressure is, it'll grow with a little bit away from that pressure. And I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, just to put you on the spot a little bit, like what impact do you think that shoeing has on these horses? Like if the foot is, because a shoe, a steel shoe or aluminum constrains the hoof a little bit versus mm. a barefoot, like there's a little bit more possibility to uh, kind of expand and contract. Like, do you think, and, and you may not have an answer, but I wonder if the expansion and contraction of like a barefoot allows the blood to pump a little bit better, or conversely, mm. maybe it puts the foot in a position where less blood will pump through because it's not as much structure there. Curious to hear your thoughts on that. I, I, you know, you'll be surprised to hear. Uh, I actually think that chewing is detrimental in some ways. I mean, it's it's a necessary evil because we can see, you know, some horses just can't compete at these upper levels without being shot. But I think the reality is is that the shoe uh, becomes a bit of a crutch for the foot. When you remove that shoe, oftentimes a lot of horses that I've dealt with over the years that have varying degrees of this high-low syndrome, if that's what we want to call it, um, their foot, that low foot, ends up growing heel over time. It, it, it sort of corrects its problem because I, the, the horse now no longer has this crutch um, that's protecting it. And in order for the horse to be sound and get around without any sort of issue, um, what ends up happening is, is that nature fixes the problem. And these horses, many horses I've seen with navicular, they're constantly doing different types of interventions with pads or adjustments to the shoe to, to create some sort of an artificial angle. Well, when you take those shoes off and that horse is turned out, every month I would come back and lo and behold, this foot has healed. Why is that? Because I think, again, nature sort of fixes the problem. So, 
I think that's a really good um, segue into the discussion about how you tackle high-low syndrome as a farrier. Uh, you know, is, is there a sweet spot for making changes to help protect against potential injury versus making changes that are so large that they might themselves cause further issues? I, I, I think, great question. I think this is where for owners, um, when I've had people that are not really part of our industry and, you know, they, they are bewildered by or, or like fascinated by the fact that someone would fly me to Europe, someone would send me for to six, six months down in Florida for the last 20 plus years, someone would send me to all points, you know, in between. And not just me, I'm talking about many, many farriers is we learn about each horse and we learn about the idiosyncrasies to answer your question of how far you can go in trying to address this issue before you have a problem. And most guys that, you know, have been doing it for a long time and are successful, you know, the, the key is, you know, we're only as good as our last horse. So a lot of guys are, are conservative, which is good. I think you come up with a formula over time. One of the formulas that I have, have used when, when necessary is, you know, there are fixed reference points on the foot. There are certain measurements that you can take, which I do pretty much daily to keep myself in check where to a certain amount, if we just take one horse, for an example, that's just the middle of the road, it's not a very drastic high low. I'm going to come and I'm going to address each foot independent of each other, but be mindful of how much I can do um, without getting the horse sore. And one of the things that I do is, and, you know, again, probably segueing a little bit, is I'm always thinking about alignment, bony column alignment. How can I, what can I do in addressing these feet that I can align the bone, the, 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 the coffin bone with the short and long pastern bone? to, you know, decrease the amount of subluxation or broken back pastern access. And in having that vision, which only comes through doing thousands and thousands of courses and making mistakes and learning from your mistakes and stuff like that, is to a certain degree, greater or less, as I keep saying, you're adjusting the foot to kind of the toe length is always going to be the same. That's, that's one uh, measurement that I make the hoof angle, give or take, they can always be close. If I know if I start with the horse and let's say a drastic number, the low foot is 46 degrees. And when I finish with that horse, it's 48 degrees. I know that I've, I've made two degrees of improvement on the alignment of that foot. Sometimes 
what what I've done more so than I did in the past is I will use some pads and different things like that to try to take some of the pressure off of the heel of the low foot. At the same time, if we're addressing the, the higher heeled foot, take it down with the trim. And then, you know, one of the things that I've done more so than I have in the past is treat each foot um, independently where years ago, if you did a pad on the left front, you do a pad on the right front. Sometimes only the right front needs to be padded. And I've had good results when I shoe asymmetrically. So. Cool. That's, that's really interesting, uh, Jude. And uh, just follow up on that. And, and you mentioned a little bit the, the bony alignment. And of course, now uh, balance x-rays, I think, are becoming more and more common. And can you speak a little bit about how you would use those uh, to, to make the decision as to like, how you'd approach this? And like without those radiographs, like, are you a lot less confident in your approach or just based on experience, like, do you feel pretty good about uh, making those changes even without radiographs? Uh, you know, one of the, the nice things about having gone back to school and, and, and sort of finished the RBC program and, and working towards my master's now at Edinburgh is um, it's opened up a lot of doors. And one of those doors is uh, I'm, I'm working for a practice part-time uh, Bucks County equine. Uh, the practice owner there uh, had sort of the thought, you know, as long as I stay within my lane as a farrier, I have access to a radiograph machine. And why I have access to radiograph machine and I'm able to shoot my own balance x-rays, not weighing in any uh, opinions on pathology or is there are horses that over time or when you are new to a horse and, and you're just trying to figure out the foot, there's really one of two ways to know um, how far or how much you can do. One is by going too far, which we know that's not a good thing. Uh, and by going too far, I mean cutting the horse too short. And then they wind up being foot sore, which that's that's not something that uh, any farrier should aim to do. It does happen, um, unfortunately, but obviously that's not uh, what keeps us in business. And the other way is using um, radiographs. And that, what I find, which is great about radiographs, is you know you can see the vertical depth of that coffin bone to. Um, to the ground, how much vertical depth I have. And oftentimes when you're under a horse and you're sort of paring away at the sole, which I try to maintain as much sole as possible, because that's the foot's natural protection. Um, you can tell with the radiograph, gee, I have a lot more foot or a lot more toe that I can trim. And by trimming that toe, I can get that alignment better at the same time. And this is something that I was fortunate enough to go overseas. Um, Stefan Worley, uh, Richard Wingen at um, Stall Tops in Holland. Um, 
they use radiographs just about on every horse that they shoe. Um, and the reason being is once I get that horse in alignment, so to speak, or as close as I can get, given what nature uh, gives to me to make whatever changes is, now I can take the fixed measurement of a hoof angle. And if that hoof angle tells me that I'm at 51 degrees and I'm in that alignment, and we can see that on the radiograph, now I know every month when I go back and shoot that horse, if I want 51 degrees, that's what I need to do. And I know I'm safe to get there. If I get it to 52 degrees, even better, less tension on that deep flexor tendon. So I think radiographs, what I say, you need it for every horse. No, there are other horses too that have been tricky that I've come across uh, in my experience. And these horses have false soles. And a lot of times you don't even realize how much foot that you have there without pairing and pairing and pairing from the sole. And, and, and again, you know, if you pair too much, you know, we get paid for what we leave on, not for what we take off. You know, if we take off too much, you're not able to put that back. So again, with, with, with something like a false sole, a tricky foot, a, a foot that really is presenting super, super flat foot, crushed heels, if you have a question about how much toe you're able to take off, I think the radiographs really, really help. And they, they give you a bigger picture and at least a baseline to start. Maybe you don't need them all the time. The likelihood is you probably would only need them once, maybe twice. But for me, I, I think they've been an invaluable tool uh, on horses that really, you know, there's questions. And, and we're just not 100% sure what we're going to do. So I, I think it's a great, great tool to use. That's really, really interesting to hear your, uh, your viewpoint on that, Jude. It's, yeah, I, I knew I really wanted to ask that question when uh, you agreed to come on the podcast. And uh, so switching gears now and kind of going in a bit of a different direction, but another question that I was really, really curious to have your thoughts on um, for me personally, I'm always really interested in comparing across different sports uh, or disciplines. I think you you learn a lot when you're looking at why certain athletes uh, train the way they do, or you know maybe maybe across different sports or different disciplines in, in the equestrian space, why horses move the way they do uh, just based on breeding or uh, the demands of the sport. Uh, I know you've been involved with in a few different disciplines, and I'm really curious to know your thoughts on uh, comparing the Olympic disciplines, so dressage, jumping, and eventing, against maybe some other uh, disciplines or some other sports like thoroughbred racing. Like what what certain things do you tend to only really see in the uh, the Olympic disciplines that are difficult to manage? Uh, <laughs> I think it's a case case by case basis. I, I I think, you know, for jumpers and dressage, you know, eventing is, is a super, super difficult uh, uh, sport on, on horses when it comes to their feet. And I think it's primarily because 
it is so difficult and, and somebody like Steve Teachman could probably speak better to this to keep shoes on. You know, I, I mean, you know, one of the things and, and you guys know this, uh, you know, in science, you know, it, it's, it's a dynamic appendage and a static appliance. You know, the, the shoe is not natural to the foot, you know, and, you know, going to your question, like if I think about three day, three day and cross country, you know, they're just so, so brutal on the horse's feet, just from the standpoint of keeping the shoes on and, you know, the potential that a horse loses a shoe during certain aspects of the, the cross country phase. And, you know, now again, like here's a horse without a shoe going at X whatever speed over what whatever type of obstacle. And it does damage to that foot because that foot no longer has a shoe on it. So that's, that's really, really difficult. And I think um, I know that they struggle with what, what things can be done to keep shoes on and to keep horses sound. Um, I think in dressage, again, a lot of forces, a lot of torque going on. So many of the upper level dressage horses, some that I've done myself in my own career, very, very super hard on their hind end, you know, um, and the difficulties that we don't really take into consideration when I say we, people that are not farriers, when you're trying to work on a horse and, and there's all of these pressures on you for static balance and the foot has to look a certain way and the shoe has to be applied this way and that way, well, you know, if, if that patient, if that horse that you're working on has a, a difficulty in holding up their hind legs and stuff like that, that creates a lot of issues. And, and I do find like the super top, top athletes, because horse athletes, because they're working at the extreme of the sport, you know, physically, you can feel what's going on when you're under them. And, and, and that plays a role in your ability to do the best job possible that you know that your client's looking for. Um, so if, if, if I think about racing, you know, I shot racehorses that were just starting out. I, I worked for Quiet Winter Farm in Colts Neck, New Jersey. Carol Thompson was a member of um, the team. In 68, show jumping team, her husband, Willard, was a very, very uh, uh, prominent thoroughbred trainer. So <laughs> part of uh, cutting my teeth was shoeing Willard's uh, young horses when they started. Um, you know, thoroughbreds, very, very, very tricky, tricky to do from a shoeing standpoint when you compare them to warm bloods. Thinner walls greater sensitivity, a lot more force and torque and pressure on that little plate with your little uh, nails that you're driving. And you can't get as creative or as brave as I tend to get with the warm bloods and driving nails, which is, you know, part of the business, you know, that, that shoe 
again, is not natural to the foot and the foot is constantly working to get it off. And, you know, one of the art slash science, one of the gifts that I've been given having worked for Seamus Brady, who was probably arguably the top U.S. farrier for many, many years, uh, you know, was the ability to learn how to drive nails and drive them significantly higher uh, than in the thoroughbred sport or, you know, some of the other sports out there. Uh, but that's a skill and that skill just comes with time, you know, so. I, sorry, Tim. Yeah. I imagine though that having shod horses across so many different disciplines and levels, it probably gives you a really unique perspective and ability to, to problem solve, um, you know, individual horses presenting different different problems um that, that's a little bit different than than maybe somebody who has only worked with horses in in, in a single discipline is yeah. that you know fair no absolutely i mean listen every horse brings to the table something different you know and and really uh, you know when they talk about mastering something in ten thousand hours it just takes so long and, and the willingness to expose yourself to so many different people, uh, horses, professionals, farriers, veterinarians, you know, being open. And, and you know, I don't want to say, unfortunately, fortunately, however it works out, you know, for me in my career, that time in, the, in working in the breeding, you know, for Willard, they would have X number of broodmares, X number of young uh, babies on the ground and wrestling with them and doing different things with them and trying things with feet. And then, you know, getting a call from Carol like, yeah, I don't know what you did there, but uh, don't do it again. And saying, oh, geez, <laughs> you know, like, oh, <laughs> OK, that's a little bit I was a little bit too aggressive, but that's the only way that you really can improve your skill is just with time. And, and again, you know, these are not, obviously people are not wanting you to quote unquote experiment on their horses, which believe me, that's not what I'm saying, but you do learn from your experience that, okay, you know, when I work on this type of a horse, uh, let's say like a thoroughbred, you know, and because there are a lot of repurposed thoroughbreds that are still, you know, in in the show world and, and do very well, um, you know, you come to realize like, okay, I need to use a small nail and a different type of shoe than I would on uh, warm blood that, uh, you know, probably should be pulling a cannon in Germany. So, <laughs> you know, so it, 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 it does, yes. You know, it, it does give you, uh, you know, a varied perspective, a varied view on how you apply your craft. So uh, one last question for you, and this is a question that we like to ask all of our guests. Um, if you could speak directly to a horse, what would you want to tell them? What What is one or two things that you wish that all horses knew and, and really understood? Well... You know, I, I did laugh out loud when I read this question. 
you know, and, and there were some people that I shared the question with. They also left thinking some <laughs> of the things that I would say. But, um, you know, I'm going to come from left field with this one. Uh, you know, I think horses uh, know a lot more than we give them credit for. I think one of the, the gifts that I've been given uh, having been with horses for, you know, since an early age is uh, I don't think there's anything that I would have to say to a horse. I think horses are very in tune with people and, and they, you know, I, I think people that don't know horses that are not around horses don't really get, you know, when we say like, oh, that horse is dumb or that horse is stupid. No, actually, they're very smart. You know, so I, 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 I don't have really a, a great answer because I, I don't think there's anything I really need to tell a horse. I think the horses really know. Uh, so maybe, uh-huh. maybe, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I think uh, a lot of the times we end up talking about how, how we really just need to listen better, but um it's always it's always fun just to see to see what, what people come up with. So um, you never know what you're gonna hear. <laughs> <laughs> I could say some negative stuff, but I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome! Thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, today, Jude. We really appreciate it. Really, really interesting uh, discussion. We love to hear uh, your your thoughts on these topics. Um, equine high low syndrome is definitely something I didn't know enough about. So I learned a lot today and uh, hopefully we'll have you get on again in the future. Thanks so much, Jude. Oh yeah. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. That was a really fun discussion and one that I think goes beyond the specific points we talked about today. Jude is incredible at his craft and has such a deep knowledge base. So I always find these conversations interesting. I love to uncover thought processes and how experts tackle problems. On a more holistic level, it is an incredibly difficult puzzle that we are trying to solve with these horses. They will present with different anatomical anomalies, personality traits, stressors, training abilities and skill sets, etc. And we need to build on an incredible team around us to solve these questions and put our equine partners in the best position to do well. It is really exciting to think about all the possibilities and uh, tiny tweaks that can be made to hopefully positively impact sport horses. Yeah. I mean, I think the more we know, uh, the more we learn, it really opens our eyes to how many factors impact sport horses um, and horses in general. And it, it can be, like you said, it's it's such a puzzle. Um, and and I find, I don't know about you, but I find like in any cases like this, when when you're trying to solve a problem, it's it's beneficial to sort of eliminate the factors that are are being changed so you can really evaluate, um, the impact that a small change, uh, will actually have. Um, but that can be really hard to do. Like, like you said, like every horse is different. Um, and it's, it's so important to have the right team around you to, um, you know, help support the, the best possible outcomes for you and your horse. And with that said, that's a wrap for today's episode. If you want to hear more from Jude, you can find lots of great articles and videos on YouTube that he's created. 
We will share those links and all other links for today's guest in the show notes, which you can find at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. You can follow us at Sport Horse Series on Instagram and find us on, at Sport Horse Series on Facebook as well. Please uh, follow and share so that your friends can find us also. Make sure to leave a review and follow us in your feed on whatever podcast app you're currently using to listen to this episode. Um, and as for the rest of the uh, the shows of the Horse Radio Network, you can have all 20 plus shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store now and search Horse Radio Network. And as always, here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy.